Jackson, he played those. That was just fantastic to watch live. But yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of stuff I did, and it was that. But Badu, if y'all know what that is, <laughs> it kind of had me all out. I, I went all out this birthday, like I always do. Last birthday weekend I spent in LA or at the Hollywood Bowl. I should say that should be like my desert, desert. <laughs> destination birthday spot or something because I'm always at the Hollywood Bowl. Last time I was there, I went to a Mike McDonald and Shaka Khan show. Fantastic. Wasn't all the way sober in that, just like this experience. But, you know, it was birthday vibes. That's what it's about. But, yeah, I don't want to bore you with all that. Maybe you do want to hear it, but I don't feel like talking about it. Uh, There's a whole lot. I don't remember. Well, first off, it was just a lot going on in terms of my non-sobriety. Uh, uh, multiple days. I'm still kind of shaking it off, too. That's another reason why. I was going to get on camera for y'all and uh, do a little promotional, but y'all not going get, to get it this time because I usually do video promotionals and show myself on camera, but I was like, I was going to do it this time, but I'm comfortable in my um, bed clothes, and I didn't feel like changing and getting dressed up. I'm sure y'all probably, y'all probably would care. I don't know, but 
I would get dressed up for y'all. I'm very comfortable. My hair is not done. I am sitting in some shorts and a tank top, and I'm not getting dressed <laughs> to be on camera. So there's that. But thank y'all for tuning in and tuning to the podcast. Thank y'all for faithfully listening to the podcast. We're almost at, I think we're almost at um, 1,200 downloads on the thing. I got to get with my sister and see what those numbers are. But thank y'all for, for downloading, man. We got some good. I just want to say, before I even get started, like, uh, with the topics. Well, I'm going to talk on a little bit of stuff, but I ain't going to go that far into it. But since it's my birthday uh, this week, I was like, maybe I should just do an episode talking about my journey in this in this space, digital space and um, musician journey and music journalist journey. I was like, maybe I should do a whole episode podcast about that. But kind of going all over the place. I told you I'm still kind of uh, <laughs> inebriated and uh, off that Baidu. So you got to excuse me if it seems like I'm rambling. I'm going to get to a point eventually when I remember it. Oh, I know what I was about to say. I got some fantastic guests coming up, y'all. Already got a book. Well, got two of them booked. I got some more to, to book on. I do all the booking myself, so that's just a thing that I do. I, I could hand it off to somebody in my staff, but I'm like, not, I just think it's, you know, think it's upon the person the, that does the podcast to do all the bookings and have that relationships. But just to let y'all know, there's going to be some great guests. I know a couple people hit me up and was like, where you go? Who's going to have on next? Whatever. So I plan to have some guests booked on. People be booked and busy. I'm probably going to try to reach out to some actors and film producers and stuff like that. Since they're on strike, I'll probably have them on the show too because <laughs> I don't think they doing nothing. I think they bored. They going through COVID. They going through quarantine too, 2.0. So <laughs> you, I may have some actors or actresses on the show because they can't work at the moment so I may utilize uh, their time if I can but for the most part we got the next few episodes of this podcast is going to have some great guests on it we're going to get into some really great conversations different uh, background fields different career fields so it should be a good time uh, so fast forward it's a lot another reason why I've, I've said I said on the, the last episode that I taped that I was going to do like these segments talking about popular culture topics, but I'm getting the vibe that I was getting when I did my radio show where I wasn't giving a fuck about those topics <laughs> because I broke, broke, broke off. I said I was going to call it raggedy talk and savage talk, but I, a, I just changed my mind and I don't want to do that shit because it's just, I can't constantly come on this podcast and cuss people out because it's just so fucking exhausting that it's this many people that are this dense that are circulating on the internet and I just don't have the capacity I may end up doing it just depends on if I feel like it's uh, worth talking about if it's worth um, really digging deep like the last episode when I was talking about the um, the writers and actors strike that, that's important to talk about. So important. Let me let me just reframe it like that with this podcast because I don't want people to get confused. My podcast is all about the upliftment and and talking about black excellence, talking about stuff in the uh, the arts in every facet, whether it be 
uh, music, of course, but I wanted to dive in and talk to different people, people that are uh, experts in uh, psychology. I've had therapists on. I've had content creators on that do food content. I'm going to be interviewing people like that. I'm going to be just people that do stuff creative and do stuff that's upliftment and, and really thoughtful content. That's, that's who I want to represent because I want people to just put this in a music podcast bowl. I want to be like an all-around podcaster. I don't want to just stick to one thing music. I want to talk about all different stuff because I got different interests. Like I, I like talking about religion, politics, you know, I may talk about that when I start talking about my, my life story to y'all, you know, all those things play a part in it. That's why my interest, that's why when you see the the logo, Soul Savviness, when you see the graphic of the podcast, when you, you click on it, whether if you're on Apple Music or uh, Apple Podcast or um, Spotify, you see all those different things where it says community and film. Like those are those are interests that I like. I have all kinds of interests that I love talking about things that are that deals with humanity art. I love talking about it. So I, I just don't want to be a one trick pony where you just come in and you're gonna get that, which is cool and it's a direct thing, but I get bored of that. I like talking to different kind of people. So that's uh, moving forward, that's always going to be the goal is talking to people that do that kind of content in any kind of art form. So there's that. And getting back to what I was talking about with everything that's going on in the world, specifically what happened, it was just a whole thing. I talked about it on my Instagram page. I don't really talk that much on Twitter. It, it don't really format, which I need to get back to because uh, I need to get on Threads too. I keep forgetting to, to download that app, that Threads app and create an account. I'm, I'm getting up there, y'all. 30s is just, you don't give a fuck because I remember when I actually cared about shit. It's like, I don't be caring about shit. That's why. <laughs> this is why I just be chilling in the cut because it, it's just so much that's happened. It's like, it's like the world get, is getting progressively weird. And so it's like, I'm just trying to, you know, maintain my own sanity. But just quickly, I don't want to spend too much time on these topics. But it was a thing with a trans woman. She went viral talking about periods and et cetera, et cetera. And then a comedian, I think her name is Just Hilarious, uh, reposted it and talked about it on there. Let me just say this. And I said, I said it on my Insta story that that low level of a conversation, it shouldn't even be something worth highlighting or talking about. And it's like I said before, it's like I'm sure trans, the trans community have like the Candace. It's like giving, I said, I made the equivalency of it's like giving Candace Owens a platform to speak. Like, you know, or, or just like giving in life and trying to give a whole a uh, step-by-step guide of how Candace Owens is wrong. It's like, you know what it is. You know the agenda. It's like, that's what it is. I'm not saying the trans woman has an agenda, but those talking points, all it leads to is like a, I guess you could frame it as a dog whistle for straight men and women because that's those are the only fucking words they hear. So you're never going to get a real dialogue with those straight men and women when they only see y'all when they see y'all in a negative light all they're going to associate y'all with negativity so 
baiting them with the conversations about um, being a gatekeeper. I guess that's the word she used for um, periods and stuff like that. They're not the gatekeepers for it. Like in essence, I get what she's saying, which is uh, it was a different people, part of the LGBT community did their own videos explaining that there's some trans men that still get their periods and stuff. And so in that regard, then she, the trans woman was correct to said that. But gatekeeping is just the way you frame words and say things, it gets people riled up. And I'm not saying you don't have the right to say things the way you say it. It's just that. What's the point? It's, it's, it's pointless to bring it up because there's other people are part of the LGBT, specifically the trans men and women that do some do so many great things and have intelligent conversations about their trans experience. Um, you know, we go down the list, T.S. Madison, Janet Mock, Le- and Laverne Cox. Like they're very visible um, in the in the, the mainstream light or or just just in general um, in terms of the representation, they're very much visible. So when straight men and women don't recognize that, and I'm a straight black woman, and I know that, I know of just, when I knew of just one of them, like following T.S. Madison, now I'm in her, and you're in their world, and then you're like, oh, there's so many trans people in this community, but because I followed one person, now I'm getting an open perspective of how so many of them are in their own digital space and it's like oh i want to go follow them and that, that's how it goes but you're never going to know if you don't look into their world and you just assume and base things off of what you think something is again sounds like how uh the whites are <laughs> when it comes to racism it's like it's literally and people be like don't compare the lgbt with black people it's literally the same shit and i will literally debate any of you jokers about that like that's why i don't even spend too much on this because it would get me irritated fast because y'all literally are acting like those anglo-saxons that have oppressed many many different cultures and communities y'all acting just like them with this whole transphobia and homophobia because there's no reason why y'all use that as the because they're using that trans woman as the example of them trying to take something away from straight women and then black women in particular and then then getting in an uproar about cisgender like are y'all serious right now cisgender term is really a thing to where y'all getting offended by that's just like the most ridiculous thing that i've ever heard of it's literally a scientific term why are you getting mad about that and i said on my insta story that i only i think the only reason why some straight black women are getting mad about that, or I should say most of the straight black women that are, you know, making an uproar about it. I think it's literally just the word, the way it looks, like cisgender, like the, the word itself, like the way it, it looks, it looks like it's close to transgender and them not wanting to be called cisgender is their way of separating themselves from transgender and not want to be called a man or be associated with what they think is not a natural woman. Let me say that. Uh, use the correct verbiage, not uh, looked at looked at as a real woman in quotation marks because there's a lot of that talk in the comment sections and on Instagram and wherever else. But I think they're just upset with just 
in any association with not being a real woman, which they think transgender women are not real women. I think because because any other argument, that's what I'm basing it off of. Because I'm not stupid. It's like I understand prefixes and how those things work. I know what words mean. And it's like for you to, and then a lot of them didn't even know what that word meant. They were like, because a lot of them, when somebody would try to correct them and tell them what it meant, they were like, I don't care what it is. I, uh, I don't want to be called that. And it's and then that's the matter of fact approach to it. And then they're trying to say, you respect my pronouns. Like, it's just, it just keeps turning into a bullshit conversation just to seem like you're more powerful than somebody else. And it, it's, it's just complete bullshit. It's like, uh, come on now, we got to quit with the oppressive Olympics. It's like, at the end of the day, we're all getting fucked over. Nothing about the LGBT community screams, oh, they're trying to take away things. When I, I don't understand how you don't sympathize with people that literally get killed every day. Like it was literally a guy, what's his name? O'Shea Sibley, rest on to him. Just, I think yesterday, got guy just, just stabbed to death for, I think in the, they said it was in Brooklyn uh, at a gas station. He was voguing, literally voguing, and upset some men. They told him to stop. He was having fun, doing his thing, voguing. He gets killed for that. So you can't sit here and you can't sit here and be like, oh, you're not getting... It's a hate crime. Hate crime is hate crime. You say black men and black women get killed by the police. Yeah, they get killed by straight black men and women. Like, let's keep it funky. Let's, let's quit acting like it's not the same thing because you want to seem like, because y'all do the same shit. Like it's always the oppressive Olympics. Every time, everybody wants to seem more oppressed than the next community and everybody's getting fucked over. It, it's it, like I said, I, I only brought that up because I wanted to call out all the fucking bullshit. And I know the T.S. Madisons, they're, they're probably trying to not ruffle any more feathers, so they're going to quit saying, because there's another, I think a YouTuber said he was going to quit saying cisgendered, and I don't advise doing that. Well, let me say, for y'all, okay, I respect that y'all trying to do that, but as a straight black woman... I say to all those straight black women and men, black men, I ain't got time to talk about y'all because y'all don't give a fuck about nothing that ain't revolved around y'all want what white people got. That's a whole other subject. But just for you straight black women on that bullshit with the cisgender, if they don't, they don't have to say it. I'll say it as a straight black woman. Fuck y'all. Because y'all, y'all have no qualms about what how y'all trying to address this all of this is misplaced anger and projection that's all the fuck it is nobody trans women are not stealing away black men they're not making it hard because i saw a lot of them because a lot of times they like to play with that language and then y'all like to bullshit around y'all want to hang around gay men and and hang with trans women and want them to do your bidding but as soon as they stand up for themselves or talk about their community now now you get offended fuck out of here with that bullshit i'm a straight black woman and i'll say that shit 
Fuck y'all with that bullshit with this cisgender. Oh, I'm offended. Fuck out of here. You ain't offended by shit. You don't even know what that fucking word means. You just saying shit just to seem like, oh, I'm just so frustrated. They're always taking... Fucking take a number. We all... we. This is a... I, I, I don't get victim... I don't get victimized by shit. I, I, you're not going to make me a victim of nothing. I, I don't sit and do that shit. Like, oh, we have it so hard... I ain't got time for that bullshit, man. You you gotta grow up. Y'all gotta grow up on the internet and stop without. They do that same shit. Oh, this is making black people look bad. It's that same fucking trope that y'all love getting on. Fuck out of here with that shit. And sorry if y'all don't like all this cussing. This just me and my natural form of. I get passionate. I can I can be as as dirty and real. I can be as clean cut as you want to be. But while I'm speaking from the heart with bullshit. It's just certain shit irritates me and it makes me cuss a lot. So if you don't like cussing, oh well, I'm not holding back. My podcast is rated explicit <laughs> when you click on it. So if you don't like cussing, oh well, click out of it. But I got to speak the room. It's as simple as that. It's, it, it's literally nothing you can say that's going to make any of that make sense to where you feel like trans women are being disrespectful to straight black women. You're not going to convince me of that. I don't give a fuck what high horse you're on or any of that self-righteous bullshit y'all be on. Ain't nobody got time for that. You don't control people. Once again, another episode where we have to have conversations about how as a human being, you don't control another human being and you can't use religion and any other thing to try to try to weaponize or justify your bullshit thinking. Because you don't have the authority on nobody's life to control what they do, how they live. Because at the end of the day, does it? Does any of these, anything that the LGBT community does, does it actually impact your life to where that, or just your perception of what blackness is? Is that it? Because if that's the case, then who gives a fuck what you think perceived as black people? What what your your deeming quality of what a black person is? Who gives a flying fuck? Because at the end of the day, it don't give it don't fucking matter if you're the most upstanding human being in the world. If a motherfucker is prejudiced, if a motherfucker has their thoughts, which that that would include y'all, because it don't matter what the fuck, how many fucking positive intellectual conversations that. Uh, great trans women like T.S. Madison and Laverne Cox and Janet, Ma- Janet Mock had, y'all always gonna have a fucking issue with trans women because it makes no sense to where y'all don't see those great conversations happening, but y'all pinpoint these fucking obtuse ass, uh, oh I'm a woman because I have a period like if you don't get the fuck out of here with that shit, like you're holding on to that. Like, if you actually cared about this community, you wouldn't be holding on to this bullshit-ass conversation. And it's that it doesn't matter what they do. You're always going to have just say that you have a problem with the LGBT community. Quit with the bullshit. Like, oh, I ain't got nothing against. No, you do have a problem with them because they're not doing anything to you. It's just shit that you're perceiving to be it, and it's not factual. You let one person define a whole community. The same shit y'all say, y'all try to act like one, that y'all do the same shit with black people, like the Meg, Meg the Stallions and the Sukianas. Y'all think all those people represent us because that's the kind of simple fucking mind that y'all have, that y'all think that's the equivalency 
of what of that they're representing blackness. Not that it's just an individual and them being themselves. They have to be. It's so fucking exhausting that y'all think that every black person has to represent for the culture. I'm tired of that bullshit. I can be any fucking thing I want to, and it, I don't give a fuck who has a problem with it because I'm my, I'm my own person at the end of the day. And so it's I'm. Oh, it's just exhausting. I stand with the LGBT community, straight black woman. I, I think every straight black man and woman that is for the LGBT community, it is our responsibility. It is not on the LGBT to get these fucking straight black men and women that have transphobic and homophobic um, beliefs. And people get so mad when you call them transphobic. That is literally, I don't understand how y'all don't see the equivalency of that this is what the racists do. When they say the same shit, I'm not racist, they get mad. Y'all act just like the white people that <laughs> get mad when you call them racist. Y'all act, how do y'all not see that equivalency? That's what's so mind-blowing. How do y'all not see that equivalency? It's just, it's just amazing. And y'all, y'all swear up and down that the black you don't compare black the black struggle with LGBT when it's literally the same shit. And y'all say the exact same thing and it's fucking disgusting. Like the way y'all talk to oh, I can have a baby and you can't. How old are you? Are you 12? Who the fuck talks like that? I have a womb. You will never produce a baby. What what is wrong with y'all? Some of y'all really need to I need to get <laughs> I don't even want y'all on this podcast. Hopefully, ain't nobody there. But I'm cussing. I, I will smoothly cuss one of y'all motherfuckers out in person or online because I'm getting sick of this nonsense. That's where the problem is. We keep letting this shit ride because back in the day, I, and, and I had to think. I was like, we didn't. The the internet experience wasn't this bad. Like when Twitter, because I got on Twitter like. 2008, 2009, and I don't remember none of these conversations we were having like this, and I think it was because there wasn't all these platforms like Instagram and all and uh, TikTok and all that where you could, ex- all these people could express all these fucking dense-ass opinions. It wasn't place for that, and then if you did have a bullshit opinion, people would fucking get at you, which they still do now, but it wasn't so many of them. It's like so many fucking... And, and Amanda Seals talked about on one of her podcast episodes talking about the willfully ignorant. It's so many willfully ignorant people on the internet, and it's so fucking like so annoying. Like I I can't stand it. It's like I can't like I just don't have the capacity to hear that shit. But yeah, I've literally spent 20 minutes talking about this shit. I was gonna do a quick five, but that shit turned into 20. But I stand, let me just say this, and I'll get to my my story. Uh, I stand with the LGBT community in every way. And like I said, I think it's our responsibility as straight women and uh, men to stand up for them and call out the bullshit when we see it because it's not their responsibility, just like it's not... Our response is not our responsibility to educate white people on oppression. It's not their responsibility to educate y'all. And so we need to take up the slack of, because they don't, it's not their responsibility to keep defending themselves all the time. We need to stand up for them because that's the only way this bullshit is going to stop. 
I know it for a fact because as soon as I talk to someone, like, hey, you need to be talking like that. You know, calling them out when they when they say bullshit, they they'll they'll cut back on it. I promise you. So that's what I say. Try to do my part and check in as a straight black woman, straight uh, straightening out all these homophobic and transphobic thoughts, so we clear this shit out and hopefully get all this trash and debris off the internet so they quit with all this bullshit because this shit is getting so tiresome trying to get these simpletons to to see right so there's that like I said get to something positive I believe my birthday just came up yesterday and when I tell you that I I treat my birthday, and I've I've been doing this for a few years, I treat my birthday like the new year. I don't know why this feeling came over me, and I'll tell you why I treat my birthday as a new year, because I look at it as a chance not only to be grateful for my life, but to really examine where I'm at, and since my birthday is like sort of in the middle of the the year, like the seventh month of the year, it's like, that's a good, that's a good cutoff right there to really examine and evaluate what you've done so far in the year, and, because I really, I really treat it like, because I would clean, like, as soon as I got home from the airport, it was like, I started cleaning my house before my birthday <laughs> day came up, I was cleaning everything, like, I treat it like New Year's, like, you know how, like, you make clean up like that superstitious thing when people clean up and stuff like that. Like I was cleaning up. Uh, I'd already cleaned my house, like my dishes, but just like in terms of like my carry-on bags, like putting my, my laundry up, getting the clean and all the dirty clothes that I've accumulated for two weeks, putting it all, cleaning all that, you know, getting it done. But I look at my birthday as a new like how we look at a new year resolution that's how I look at my birthday and it's a a chance for me to really evaluate what's happened since the top of the year and I and it's always a good time too because then it gives me motivation to the things that I may have put on the, the back burner or haven't got back to in terms of flushing out ideas I get back to getting the execution parts back together in terms of getting my goals in terms of executing goals I get back into that space and so it's just like a fluctuation you you have these fluctuations with the creativity but for some reason my birthday is one of those things that I treat like a, a part of me that I need to be rejuvenated it gives me that motivation to go after the goals that I may have put to the side and you know get it accomplished not saying everybody has to do that that's just my approach and when I really looked at what happened I'm like oh man I had a whole lot that happened it's it's like I lived like four different lives since the top of the year and when I came into the new year it wasn't really it was good but it wasn't bad I think emotionally I was just all over the place and when I examined like that top of the year what I was feeling to now it's like wow you made it through you you really were struggling a little bit in terms of your mental capacity and everything that you had going on 
and it was like a a day by day thing. And it was the, I literally took it day by day because that's all the energy I had. Most of the time I could look forward and be like months ahead, but it was like you really thinking. And then I had the opportunity like a month later, and that kind of pet me up. I think almost the end of January. I got a really great opportunity to get into some, before the <laughs> the writer and actor strike, I got an opportunity to work on a film soundtrack, which I was very excited to get back into doing film scores again, because I hadn't really flexed that muscle in a minute. You know, even though it was a feeling that they were going to shut down, like the, the writer strike and the, the actor strike was going to happen, I was just really, that's when I, it, by the time we wrapped that up or we got into post-production with that project, I was like, I'm just going to revel in this. And I really, really was appreciative of that moment. And if it didn't, if the project didn't go, go on and get the green, get the green light, I was still happy to even do it and flex that muscle again and have opportunities to get more gigs every year is always dope to get those phone calls to get those emails and texts about an opportunity for a gig is always fantastic and just to tell you a little bit of my life story because I've never did this on this podcast as I'm brand new to it I remember when we did our first episode I told y'all I was a veteran musician and also, I guess I could add on a veteran music journalist as well. This is getting to be 10. It's about to be 10 years uh, in terms of my publication. It'll be 10 years, <clears throat> excuse me, next year for February. It'll be 10 years. And professionally, as a musician, it's 17. It'll be 18. It'll be legal. My musician career will be legal next year in January 20th 2006 that's insane man when people tell you time goes by fast when I tell you time has gone by so fast because it don't even seem that long like even referring to the 2010s as 10 years ago is wild to me because it just feels like two three years ago it don't feel like that long ago it's insane how fast time is going by and when I tell you, and, and the thing when I looked at when I started the Soul Savvinous brand, started it in 2014. Let me, this is the same revelation that I'm about, the revelation I had. Of, uh, this, is why I'm, this is why I'm going to explain how fast this brand has taken off. Like I started it in 2014. 2014, I spent, I made it a goal all I wanted to do, what motivated me to start it was I didn't see any music websites really talking about albums that were, like they were talking about albums and doing album reviews, but it was certain albums I didn't feel like they were talking about. And when I looked at, you know, I was, I'm like, why are they talking about this? Why are they talking about that? And I was like, you know what, I need to create my own. And it was just that thought. But it was so much that happened to where I knew I wanted to talk about music, but some I, I, let me let me go back even further. Like three years prior to that, I wanted to start a web- website. It's actually going to be a gossip website, 
and I was going to talk about everything. I want to talk about politics, religion, all that stuff, but I didn't know how to make that idea come together, and I kept hitting writer's block, and mind you, I had the motivation. I bought, I had graphic designers design logos and everything. I had all of it laid out, and then I read this book by Miss Angel Laws from uh, the former owner of Concrete Loop. She wrote a book giving a guide of how to start a website. And half the stuff that she said to do, I was not doing it. And so after I read that book, I remember I finished reading it on the plane. I was on the plane reading it. And I was like, you know what? I need to fucking get rid of this website because I'm not ready. <laughs> and then it was just the, the idea kind of just faltered after I read the book. And I just kept living and then I was going through other spiritual changes. I was really digging deep into my spiritual practice. And my spiritual practice was just meditating and fasting. I just just adopted that into my lifestyle. And it changed it so drastically. And I was just living life for like a year and a half. Like that was 2011 when I was thinking about doing that. A website and it didn't work out. 2010, 2011. Year, year 2012 came in, you know, having another spiritual awakenings and different things happened in life, personal tragedies that were impacting me were, and also was helping me get through it, was meditating and fasting through that process. 2013, get December 2013, I was doing a 60-day fast, or no, 90-day fast. It started out as 30 days, and I was like, oh, this is good. I think I did a no meat fast and then I was like okay I'm going to continue the no meat fast and I'm going to add no sugar okay so I did no meat no sugar for 60 days I ain't going to hold you the sugar one Woo, shit that one that one that one made me feel like a fiend like a like a dope fiend because I was fiending for some sugar I ain't going to hold you that was hard but I stuck to what I felt was going to be right for me spiritually and I stuck to that my commitment of just a really great health journey with meditating and getting that space. I didn't really have a motivation for it. I was just really into my spiritual practice. It had nothing with losing weight. It was just a spiritual practice that I was taking seriously. 60 days, no meat, no sugar. Then 90 days come and it's like, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to another 30 days. And I promise you the last day of my fast, I wasn't even thinking about doing a website. Nothing at all was coming. I, I wasn't... My focus wasn't on that at all. I promise you. It was late at it was like late at night. It was like three something in the morning, three, four in the morning. I was so I was just knocked out sleep. Like it was one of them good sleeps. And a voice told me while I was asleep, get up and start writing about music appreciation. And when music appreciation came, first thoughts I had was Oh, these dope producers that don't get love. Like thinking about Miss Angela Wimbush. I was thinking about Chef Crawford. I was thinking about Kashif. I was thinking about great musicians. I was thinking about the Roger Troutmans, the Sly Stones, the Rick James, the Bob Marlins. I was thinking about all these great artists that I didn't feel were getting appreciation. So I was like, that's what I'm gonna write about. And all these ideas, all these different categories of what I wanted the website to look like started to come in fast and I was writing them all down. All of that stuff in the middle of the night of December of 2013. Let me show you how fast this worked. Now, mind you, the inspiration came 
I'm, I'm the kind of person where when inspiration hits me, I have to act on it immediately. It's like, like a, I get so intentional when, when the, when I can see my vision clear as day, when it comes to me like that, it's like an urgency for me to do it. And so when I tell you I was the next morning, or should I say hours later, I woke up trying to find graphic designers, just looking, 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 looking for graphic designers. Couldn't, and, and mind you, it's the middle of December. If anybody that say graphic designer or does any kind of content or photographers, even y'all know y'all busy during the holidays. And this was in the middle, like I told you, middle of December. So they're always going on vacation or, you know, they, they're, they're basically <laughs> unavailable until the new year, basically, when you deal with graphic designers and that. It, but, you know, kept trying to look, couldn't find it. And then I think a week later, it was like a week or two later, because we were getting to the new year. I think it was maybe like the first week of January, I went to my old technical school in my hometown. And thankfully, my old instructor, former instructor, let me say, was still there, but he was teaching a different program because I went there for internet working, computer repair. That's what that uh, field was called when I went to technical school. I don't think they had that anymore. They called it something else if they did. But he was teaching actually graphic design. He was teaching that, and it was something else, another another word, another term I can't think of, but all that was interconnected. And I was, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I was like, I need some students that wouldn't mind working on, you know, I need graphics for my website. And I had my vision. I knew what I wanted. He was like, yeah, I'll give you, I think he gave me like four or five of his students. And we got right on it that day. When he went out and I, I had a list of what I wanted. I gave it to them. I think I came back like a week or two later, needed them to revise it some things because I was very particular about it. I had the vision I wanted and I wanted them, I wanted to execute it properly. And they went in one more time and it came out perfect. The crazy thing was I didn't even have to pay for those graphics. I was going to pay all those uh designers that were working on it but he ended up giving them that ended up being college credit for them working on my website so I thought that was cool and I think I did end up paying I think two of them moving forward because I had to I needed help like running the website so I think I actually paid two of them that had the time to to work on the the websites every because I think I was posting every day I was needing help with the technical parts of it, the day-to-day -day run of it, they were helping me with the all the stuff that I needed to update for the website. So shout out to them. But yeah, it started with that. December, the ideas came to me. January, the preparation for it, then execution happened. And then February 6, 2014 was when I launched the Soul Sadness brand and website or website I should say launch the website that fast and when I tell you this brand took off like the I think I wrote like 10 posts I had like like I'm talking about like 600 800 word editorials I had album reviews I had multiple album reviews I was all dropping at the same time and I'll say 
like all the people that I was writing about saw my articles, saw my posts. It was insane. I think within the first hour, I got over like a thousand hits. I wasn't even expecting to get three. I just thought it was going to be people I knew <laughs> from Facebook that liked it. But it ended up becoming like one of the greatest things in my whole thing. Because when I was growing up, I loved writing. That was like one of the first things I loved. And then I ended up playing basketball. That started to get my focus. And I really didn't like playing basketball I was just doing it because it was a tradition on my dad's side of the family everybody on that side of my family in terms of my my father's side my father's siblings they that's what they did was play basketball so I thought that's what I had to do and then it got to the point where I didn't like it and then I started tapping back into playing music mind you I've been playing since I was a kid since 1998 you know, 20, it'll be 25 years, and I think a couple weeks I've been playing, 25 years of the experience, and 17 years professionally, that's a whole other thing, talking about the musicianship, because I started out playing the drums, you know, you, you go to church, and you see this ensemble of musicians, you see the bass player, the organist, the guitarist, you have the drummer, and I, I said in a podcast before when I was interviewing, I think it was uh, E. Will, I told, I said in that episode that it was, I think it was because the age thing, it was, a, I saw a drummer my age, and I was like, because you kind of have seniority, some of them have seniority over a certain instrument, it's like a whole church thing, a Baptist church thing, you don't really have, you got to work your way up, and drummer, that's one of the instruments to where you don't have to like, um, fight for it, like anybody can get on drums, and it's usually somebody real young that can get on, and that's what it was, I seen it, I loved it, and then I always played in church, I always did it, but basketball was getting more of my attention, when I really tapped back into it though, was when I was, again, 15, I was taking piano lessons, a lot of people didn't know, it was, it wasn't nothing I was bragging about, I was just doing it. And I took lessons for like a year. And then I went until I was comfortable enough to play it. I remember one time when I moved back from Oklahoma City to my hometown, I went to my home church. And I was just randomly playing the piano because I, I started, I went to the drums. And then when I started learning the piano, which I randomly did that because a relative of mine had a Casio, like one of them cheap Casio keyboards in their little attic room. And I was just playing around with it. And then I, I remember just randomly harmonizing the chords. I'm like, oh, these are actually harmonizing. And then once I figured out, I think I was playing C major, B chord or something like that. Something easy to play. And I would just take, y'all remember the MP3 players. Uh, <laughs> I would The ones you had to manually put the songs on. Generational Z, this a whole it's a whole thing trying to describe what that <laughs> how we had to manually put songs on a iPod device or MP3 device. <laughs> a long story, but that's what that's what that was. And I would MP3 play the songs I would play and it would be just random songs, it'd be prints, it'd be uh, it would be uh, intro songs, it would be all kind of random 90s RB, Joe, Tamiya. It'd be all kind of random songs, and I would try to play along with it. And then I was like, let me go take lessons. And I think, like, some weeks later, it's like when I think of something, 
and I get my mindset on it. I just do it. I, it's not a, oh, maybe I need to ask this person if I need to do it. That's just how I am. I'm just impulsive. I, if I, if I, if it feels good to me, I just do it. That's just how I've always been. And that was the thing with music. It just felt good. I was like, oh, and I just had a fun process with it. And then like a year later, after doing, when I felt comfortable enough to play, I was randomly playing one day before church started. My mentor, who's still my mentor, uh, organist at the church, heard me playing on the piano. And he started showing me some chords. He's like, oh, this is this is a, a chord we played during altar call. This is a chord we played during offering. I was like, oh, that's cool. And he was just showing me stuff. I was just listening and, and what he was showing me, I was looking at it. And then after he shows me, he's like, hey, you want to play during service? I'm like, hey, yeah, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I was very definitive on that. I did not want to play during service. I'm like, no, I'll just start. I just started randomly playing. I wouldn't even want nobody to hear me because I was like, mind you, this is service. Nobody's in the fellowship. Nobody's, everybody's in the fellowship hall. I was literally the only one at the piano. That's the only reason why I started playing because nobody was around. He just caught me. And I guess that's a divine thing that happened because if it wasn't for him actually giving me the confidence to play during service, I would have never, if he never would have intervened, I probably would have just kept this gift to myself. Nobody, it would be no Hewlett Green, the musician, because I probably wouldn't pursue it as a career because I had no intention on nobody listening to me. But I think that's just how the divine grace and will works because once I started playing, I played during that service and they gave the other musicians, the bassist who's also my mentor and guitarist, who I, all of them I looked up in church, they had like 30, 40 plus years in already and so that's intimidating, that was another thing because they were so uh, so far ahead of me in terms of the years, it was like, it's very intimidating to play against that that many um, professionals, so that that you know that played really well, but they were so graceful and kind, and I got used to doing it, and I played in church, and then it was a drummer I loved playing with. He gave me confidence as well. Man, when I look back on those times, they were so simple and easy and fun. You know, it was, it was just a really great time for me, I think, just the, just the creativity part. It was just it was just really fun to do it. It, it wasn't no, it, it didn't feel like pressure once I started to do it every week. And then, like with anything, you do it long enough, you're going to get skilled at it. And it, But started playing in church, and then friends, I think a year prior to, actually, I should have brought that up, being in L.A., Went after high school. That's what I started to do was intern. I intern, intern with Foxo uh, Serious. And while I was interning at a radio show, <coughs> excuse me, while interning, a musician friend of mine kept inviting me to the studio to play. This was during, like, I don't think I would had, I think I was playing the piano from that time, I'm trying to get the time period right. 
I started, because that was January, and I started playing. I think um, when that opportunity happened, it was during, it had to been the summertime, June, July, and August, I think that. So I wasn't even playing sick. I wasn't even playing a full year when my friend was asking me. That's crazy. I'm just realizing. I didn't realize how close those dates were. I thought it was like a year, but it's actually, let me, let me think. Hold on. No, it was a year and a half. That's what it was. I'm getting my years. It was a year and a half. It was that summertime. Because it was 2006 when I started playing. And then like 07, 08, 09. It was like 2008-ish. 2008. That's when it was. It was like a year and a half later. Because it was like it was like midway summer. Because I did the summer programming. So it had to be then. Because that's when they had it. Anyway, he kept inviting me to the studio. Mind you, I'm not thinking this was like, this was just something. He was the one of the co-producers on records, and he was on the parent label. Mind you, I did sign. That's a whole other topic. I'm probably going to have to do a whole other podcast about that. But got opportunity to play with a parent label and do some work with them. But I wasn't taking it serious because, mind you, it was just random calls. And when I actually went to the label, it was just like a, a something common. Like, they wasn't treating it like it was like a real record deal. It was just like, oh, yeah, sign these papers type of thing. It wasn't anything, like, you know, major to where, like, an artist, what, where you were getting the, oh, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. It was just, hey... If you want to be on these records, sign this contract type of thing. Long story. Don't have time to get into all that. But it was a great experience, though, because I met so many great songwriters and producers doing working under that parent label. So it was a great time. But when I moved back to my hometown, I had to start from scratch. And it was like trying to find gigs. And then I started playing in church. And then church, I was still trying to find gigs. And then it got to the point to where it was like, I started understanding music. I, I gave myself 10 years as a musician. I was like, I need to develop. While I'm getting gigs, I had to make, this was my own promise to myself, to where I have to be a full-time musician. I have to take it seriously for 10 years. I have to be a student in music for 10 years for me to be calling myself a musician. But there was a lot of people calling me a pianist. They were calling me the, you know, the drummer girl. They were calling me this, that. I didn't feel comfortable calling myself any kind of musician until I had 10 years under my belt. And so while in that 10 years, I was taking on gigs. I was doing those things. But... I didn't feel like it was legitimate, so I had 10 years under my belt. And in between those 10 years, I was just becoming a student of music. And I feel like that's what it's all about. And when I look at my journey from that time period, 17 years ago to now, it's been so, like I said, I feel like I've lived like four different lives because everything move so fast and then I listen I got eight I think I got ADD because I forgot to give y'all the rest of the timeline <laughs> so seven it started 2014 right I told y'all that that whole year I was like again I always make these these commitments in terms of goals I guess you could call it in forms of goals of 
Okay, I said, I'm going, my whole goal for writing, when I was telling y'all that I loved writing as a kid, it was it was always different things I loved writing about. I loved writing in second person. I loved creating ideas and, and just stories, and I learned to develop that skill when I was in college. Uh, in my English classes, my English professors, you know, research paper after research paper. You have so many research papers your freshman year and my sophomore year that's when everything started clicking and I got into a rhythm and I would write you would write so much in college that's how I was able to transfer all that to doing it for my own publication because that whole ability that's what college gave me was that skill to do it at at a really crushing time crunching uh, deadlines because you would have to write stuff and have it ready the next day or by the end of the week and you would have to write so many research papers. I would have research papers in like four or five different classes and we're talking about over 800 words most time. Got to cite your sources and all that, citations, all that stuff. And so I learned to develop that. And so with writing, I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to get, be respected as a music journalist. That was my only goal. I got that within the first year. It was just insane. Like, I don't want to name drop. I don't want to be those people, but it was so many artists, them and their camp, that reached out to me like, hey, review this, review that. It was just so much. It was overwhelming. Then I would get invited to parties. I would get invited to listening parties. It was just insane. And then, you know, the next year, mind you, I'm just worried about writing, becoming a good writer. I knew I could get interviews because I'm a musician and I do gigs, you meet all kind of artists and different celebrities and stuff backstage and just going to parties. I'm always around celebrities and, you know, different, you know, well-known artists. So I knew the interviews were, it was going to be easy to get because I was around these people and I could do interviews either backstage or after shows, all that stuff. I just wanted to focus on my writing. The next year, that's a whole other story, how I started my first (laughs) interview was with Bilal for the website. And most of, most of what that interview happened was because of the person answering the phone at the venue where he was performing at did not know the protocol with media credentials. And so that whole, mind you, the dude was being disrespectful because he put me on hold because I asked him about media credentials twice and he was acting like I was speaking Japanese or something. And he's like, hold on. And he puts the receiver down. I know it was one of them old school receivers the where, you know, like the assistants have, um, they have the dial touch or whatever. He puts the phone down, the receiver down. I hear it. And he, he's wandered off wherever and was like, she says she's some, it's some journalist that she says she's some journalist on the phone. That's the part that I got offended by. Cause I'm like, motherfucker, I told you my name. <laughs> And what I was calling for. So you acting like what I was saying was something bad. Because you don't know. I was like, how the fuck you going to get irritated with me? Because you don't know what you're doing. That's what I was That's what I was mad about. He's talking shit. And he's like, she say she's a journalist. I don't know what the who he was talking to, the owner or whatever. But couldn't hear him after he said that. But I was so mad. And then when he came back on, he's like, the fee is $20. Mind you, he said the fee was $20 like two, three times every time I asked him a question. And then when I asked him the last time, he's like, all right, hold on. And then he said that. And he's like, and then he came back again frustrated. The fee is $20. And I think he hung up on me because I don't think I was able to rebuttal back. Because if I rebuttal back, which I'm glad he probably did 
hang up on me because if he would have continued on, I probably would have cussed him out because at that point when he kept saying the fee was $20, I'm like, nigga, I ain't never paid no fucking fee ever. No, especially not no cover charge to get into no damn show. I don't even pay for shows. That is the compensation. (laughs) Is a ticket to the show, whatever. I don't, I ain't never paid for no, no concert ticket. Not for myself. I ain't never paid for no ticket. So I damn sure ain't gonna do it for no. I'm not saying you know I wouldn't pay for Bilal or nothing like that, but I don't pay for cut. I don't play cover charges at hole in the walls. I'm just and mind you, I didn't know it was a hole in the wall at the time. It was just some dude. But the, I just figured that since the fee was twenty dollars, then it wasn't that big of a venue. That's what my point was. But oh, I debated so much cussing at calling it calling that venue back up and cussing that motherfucker out because I didn't like his tone and the way he was talking, being disrespectful. And then in that moment, it was like, you know what? He gonna make me pull my card and call Bilal's people because I knew his, I knew Bilal's people. I was like, let me hit them up and see what's going on because I'd already did an album. I already did a uh, no, not an album because the album hadn't came out yet. He had just dropped a single and I'd already did a write up on it. And his people had already, you know, uh, had contacted me before about writing up on it. And I was like, let me just use their contact information and see if I can do the interview. Fast forward. Did the interview, I thought it was going to be some trouble. At first, they suggested doing it in the hotel where he was staying at, which I would have preferred to keep from. Because I didn't know if it was going to be beef or not with whoever. I didn't know who I was on the phone with. So I was like, I made sure that the, the, the publicist was like, I was like, hey, give me the tour manager's number. So <laughs> we ain't got no issues because I would hate to have to cuss somebody out. That's what I was thinking in my head. But it ended up going right. And the only gem I can drop for you on that is when these situations happen, you got to keep a clear head. You got to keep a very good attitude because it's easy to flip out when, you know, certain things happen, but you got to understand the situation, the dynamics of it. The guy clearly, it was an up and coming venue. The venue just opened up. So it made sense that the guy didn't know what media credentials are but that speaks to the owner i think the owner ended up he's probably just a relative or something anyway just answering phones so he got somebody professional to to do all that stuff for him but it's a testament of just what the owner you know getting professional people because it can become a problem sometimes when you put people like that in positions they can really f up what you got going on because they don't know the protocol or you haven't taught them anything so they don't know what to expect you got to get that in line because they can you know evidently mess up or eventually mess up your um your business so there was that but yeah i i was gonna wait a little bit longer i plan to start doing interviews later that year mind you that was june 2015 i think when i did that interview Everything just started happening fast for Soul Sadness. Like I said, dropped in 2014. I just spent, I focused, my goal was to write as many articles as possible, which I did do that. Oh, I got so many stories on that. Man, it's been a fucking time, y'all. 2015, interviews, once the inter- that interview started, then I just got on the ball and started doing write-ups in person and uh, writing, doing write-ups on concerts and shows. Did Jill Scott's, did Maxwell's, did tweets that oh it was so many i can't i can't keep up with it but i did so many interviews i did a interview with a film cast i did 
that whole year and it just kept rolling and then the next year all that interviews 2015 2016 I got offered a radio show during the fall of 2016 it was insane like and, and I was still doing interviews during that time period too it's so many I don't want to name drop because I don't want to be that person but you can look on the website if you want to see all the people I interviewed because I don't want to sit because there's so many of them. I don't want to miss anybody and, and try to act like one is my favorite of that. But it was it's just so much good shit that has happened to this brand of Soul Savviness. 2016, 2017, 2016 to 2021, almost five years I did that radio show. That's a whole other thing too. And then we get to 2022, drop this podcast. And now we're in 2023. That's how fast this shit has went by. That's how I can break up my whole career is talking about that. And in between that, building my resume up as a musician, going on tours, been on two tours. And then I'm just building my credit up as a musician. And then I started being a music director around 2013, which is going on to be, um, what is that? 2017 from 2023 five years that's insane y'all it's crazy i think it may be going on six years because i forgot what my first week was i just remember it was in 2013 it may have been like um october 2013 because i was doing a lot of gigs during the time during the fall of that year but yeah man oh shit is i'm getting exhausted it, i ain't even telling y'all everything it's just i'm just grateful when i look the, the whole thing about everything that's happened in my life has everything has went by so fast but I feel like like it'll be 10 years but I feel like I'm just now getting my footing with this brand and expanding it to reach out to others and let's let's come together and network and keep building each other up especially black business owners black content creators that's what I want in this digital space is just that's, that's what I've been reflecting on for a couple of years now, especially during COVID. I had time to think. It's like, this is the kind of work I want to do. This is where I get the energy to do it, is pouring into other people. And not really expecting nothing back. I, it just felt, it just feels good to help other people. And that's what I want to be on. And that has nothing to want to pat myself on the back for. It. It's just, that's the only thing that makes me feel good. Because when you make money, the more money you make, I feel like the more the government takes. That's a whole other thing. But I don't get enjoyment from making money. When it helps me to utilize it and help other people, that's where the joy comes from having it. But I never take it for granted. I'm super grateful, and that's what I reflect on with my birthday, is just the gratitude of life. It's a, I've lived an amazing life, and I want to continue to live an amazing life, and doing that is helping others, because I feel like it's a bigger picture. We all have a purpose in life, and I found mine early, and I think reason why the divine gave it to me so early in my 20s was so I can utilize it because what what do I do after that when your favorite artists of all time like Chaka Khan, Philip Bailey, when they know who you are, Michael McDonald, when these people know who you are, Timbaland, when they, you know I said I wasn't gonna name drop, but I'm just naming those just to give you an idea of the people that I've met, the people that have seen my content, Layla Hathaway have seen my content, 
I can keep going on and on. But Robert Glasper, it's just like when these people have seen your content and you keep elevating and it's like, what what more do you need? And it's like, it's not about that, the praise. It's about the service. And I feel like So Savviness is a service journey for me to help other people. That's all I want to do. And so if you get anything from that, that's my savvy talk. That's my wrap up. You know, have the servitude is the gratitude. You know, you do it when you don't do it for self and you see the bigger picture of your purpose. When you find your purpose in life, it's going to enlighten you, hopefully inspire you to help others, to make it better for others and make it better for yourself. And just constantly be in service and not wanting a pat on the back, but just understanding where you're at. Find gratitude in it. And when you find gratitude, you don't need a pat on the back. You know what I mean? And so you stay grounded in that and keep pushing. You know, when you believe in it, when you see the vision clear as day, anything you get from this, I am a prime example. My career is a prime example of when you stay efficient, when when you get the preparation, when you get the preparation right, it's going to meet the opportunity, and the opportunity is going to meet execution. I promise you. That's it. That's my whole game plan. That's how I live my life like that. The preparation, the preparation meeting the opportunity. The opportunity comes with executing. And when you execute the idea, when you execute a vision, it's got to happen for you. I promise you. It's got to happen and it will happen because it's designed in this divine space we're in. This powerful spiritual force is going to make that happen for you because it's supposed to happen. Because when you're gifted, when you have something inside that touches people, that people rock with, that a divine gift that's meant for not only you, but somebody else that's going through it. So that's my savvy talk. Thank you for listening in. I ain't trying to wrap you up long, like a long-winded preacher. Just give you a little bit, talk a little bit, give a little bit. That's it. So thank you for tuning into the Soul Sadness Podcast. And I'm out. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed, or relaxed, Soul Savviness got you, the ultimate getaway. You are listening to the sounds of Soul Savviness Podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease.